Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And today we're continuing our series on the ABCs of faith. And in particular, we're going to study faith and unbelief. And this is an area of faith that isn't really covered very often. Because there are actually two keys for you to be strong in faith. Number one, of course, you need to fill your heart with the word of God because faith comes by hearing the word. But also, you have to guard your heart against unbelief. You need to keep it out. We see these two things in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 uh, onwards. First, from 20 to 22, it says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them, God's words, depart from your eyes. Keep them, God's words, in the midst of your heart. For they, God's words, are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. You see, when God's words are in the midst of your heart, they produce the faith which receives God's life and health flowing out of your spirit. And then verse 23 adds this. It says, you must also keep or guard your heart with all diligence, all diligence, for out of it flow the issues, the springs, the forces of life. So even when the word is in our heart, as we read in verse 20 to 22, it's still important that we also guard our heart against certain things entering in. We have to protect our heart against the wrong things coming in because that would cause the issues of life that flow through our faith uh, to be impeded. Now, why must we guard our heart? What must we guard it from? Well, there are enemies of faith, you see, that will cause the faith in our heart to be inoperative and ineffective. If you let these enemies in uh, so that they coexist alongside with your faith, they will nullify the effects of having faith in your heart. You know, in warfare, some enemies are outside the nation, at least you know who they are. But the most dangerous enemy is the hidden enemy within. That we call that the fifth column, and it's often disguised as a friend. If the fifth column is not exposed and dealt with, it's going to undermine and nullify everything you're trying to do. It will diminish your effectiveness as a nation uh, from within. Uh, and so, in the same way, you can have a lot of the word and a lot of faith in your heart, but if you don't guard your heart against false teaching and unbelief, your faith will actually be unfruitful. You see, the condition of your heart determines uh, your life. Unless you accept God's word as final authority and also reject that which is contrary to the word of God, it's not just enough to accept the word of God, you also have to reject, you have to guard your heart against stuff that is against the word of God. Because if you accept them both, you will be double-minded and you'll have a divided heart. And so this is what I want to deal with today. Now it's possible, you see, this is what many don't realize, it's possible for that you can have the positive and the negative. You can have faith and unbelief at the same time, or faith and unforgiveness, or faith and false teaching. They might both be there in the heart. The problem about this mixture is the fact that the negative will nullify the positive. It will make it inoperative. And so if a promise doesn't come to pass in your life, you know, it's not God's fault. Neither is it necessarily because you don't possess faith. 
No. It's probably because you've also allowed evil thoughts of unbelief, contrary to God's word, to dwell in your heart, and that is nullifying your faith. Well, let me give you an example of that. Jesus said in, in Matthew, sorry, in Mark 7, verse 13, he said, your tradition, that is your false doctrine, has nullified the word of God. It makes the word of God of no effect. The word of God may be in your heart, but it's not having any effect because there's something else in there too, which is that false doctrine. Notice they had the word and they had religious tradition, but the one negated the other. Uh, it's like two teams of horses pulling in two different directions. They're both powerful, but no result. The presence of the other thing in the heart, along with the word, makes it ineffective and unfruitful. For, for instance, in gardening, you can plant the good seed, but that's not enough. You also have to guard your garden against the weeds, don't you? Because if they're allowed to grow unhindered, the result is that they will grow as well and prevent the plants from growing. They'll choke out those plants. Uh, Jesus talked about that in the parable of the sower. He said that even when the seed of the word is planted in the heart, if these weeds of the world are present also, they choke out the word and they make it unproductive. That's Mark 4.18. He says, now these are the ones sown among the thorns and weeds. They're the ones who hear the word, so they, they have faith. But the problem is these people don't guard their heart against the negative. And it says, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things, entering in this unguarded heart, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. They've got the word, they've got faith, but it's not fruitful because... They didn't guard their heart. Bob Dylan did a, uh, an album, Slow Train Coming, which I, I like a lot. But one of the songs is actually wrong. It sounds good, but it's, he says, you either got faith or you got unbelief. There ain't no neutral ground. Well, actually, you can have faith and unbelief at the same time. And most faith failures are not because you don't have faith, it's because you're allowing unbelief in your heart, which is nullifying the faith. We have faith. Why isn't it working as it should? It's because of the presence of unbelief. It's, we're also believing something contrary to the word. And, and so faith and unbelief, it's the same word but opposite. One's pistis, one's apistis. And, and unbelief, therefore, is the opposite of faith. It's described as hardness of heart and spiritual blindness, whereas believing faith is having a soft heart to God, and it's also described as the ability to see spiritually. And so unbelief is like, creates a veil over the heart so we cannot see. And, but faith and unbelief, and this is a surprise to many people, it can reside together in the heart, you know? You, you say, I have faith, but I'm not seeing any results. Are you guarding your heart from unbelief? Let me show you a few scriptures that establish this fact that faith and unbelief can be together. Mark 5.36, Jesus said, Do not be afraid, only believe. In other words, he says, believe, but only believe. Don't allow fear and unbelief in. Mark 9.24, the man says, Lord, I believe. He has faith. Help thou my unbelief. 
In other words, he was aware that he had faith and unbelief at the same time. And Jesus didn't contradict him about that. Mark 11:23, Whoever says to this mountain, Jesus said, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. Literally, he doesn't allow doubt to come into his heart, but believes that things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. This shows that faith and doubt can, can exist in the heart together. Uh, because he's, cause this man clearly believes, he says he believes, but Jesus also adds the warning. He also needs to stop the doubt, the unbelief, getting into his heart. So it must be possible for that faith to be there and that unbelief. And, and what Jesus is saying, of course, is that to have success does not just depend on you having faith. It also depends on you keeping out the doubt, the unbelief, from getting into your heart. You see, we can be double-minded. We can pay attention to the word, but we can also, at the same time, pay attention to the world. And, and, and the two sources nullify each other. Faith, you see, relates us, and it co connects us to that invisible realm of God and his power. And in that realm, you see, God's word is final authority. But our senses, on the other hand, relate us to the physical world, to the visible realm. And, and they're both telling us stuff. Now, faith arises when we take God's word as the ultimate authority. And though we receive information from the other source as well, we put God's word first. Now, unbelief, or natural, what I call natural unbelief, takes what we can see, feel, touch. It takes that as the final authority. And, and so often our faith, you see, on the one hand, and our senses on the other hand, are telling us something different. The issue is, what do we focus on? And what do we take as the final authority? And that's why faith and unbelief are opposed. Now, it's not enough to have faith in your heart. You must guard your heart against the enemies of faith, the things that will work as a fifth column and undermine the working of your faith. And I want us to look at the classic passage of Jesus on faith where he reveals two of these enemies. There's, we're going to deal with three altogether today. The two enemies are doubt and unbelief. The second enemy is unforgiveness. Let's have a look because they can both nullify the faith in your heart. Jesus talked about, first of all, this first enemy of unbelief. Mark eleven twenty two. Jesus said, Have faith in God. Surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not allow doubt into his heart, but believes the things that he says will come to pass, he'll have what he says. He says, therefore I say to you, whatsoever things uh, you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. So here's someone moving in faith. They have faith in their heart. But Jesus puts the warning in here that if you are passive and you don't guard your heart, unbelief from the natural world, what your senses tell you, you're believing God for healing, but your senses are telling you that you're sick. What are you going to take as the final authority as to what you believe? You see, that doubt can get in the heart if you don't protect your heart. Now, I want to be clear here that thoughts or doubts may come to your mind. They often do, don't they? 
But that doesn't mean they've entered our heart. You see, there's a lot of mental static going around, but it only enters your heart, you see, when you believe that, those doubts, when you accept them as true for you, then you doubt in your heart. That's what Jesus is warning about. So don't panic if you get thoughts of doubt. Jesus is saying, but you need to protect your heart against that and you do not need to receive them, take them and identify with them. The issue is whether you dwell on those thoughts and then receive them as true and you let them into your heart. The saying is, is true, isn't it? That you, can, you can't stop birds flying over your head, but you can stop them building a nest in your hair. Yes, what your senses tell us, tell you, are facts, but they are not the truth. Visible facts are temporal. They're subject to change. But God's truth, God's word, is eternal. It's enduring. Faith does not deny the natural facts, but it sees past the natural to the spiritual, to the higher, to the ultimate reality of God. 2 Corinthians 4.18, he says, we, that's us believers, we do not look at, we do not focus on. See, what gets into your heart is determined by what you focus on, what you look at. Are you looking to the natural or are you looking to God? If you look to the natural, unbelief will come into your heart. But if you look to God as the final authority, you will be able to guard your heart against unbelief. We believers do not look at the things which are seen, but we look at the things of God that are unseen with the eyes of faith. You see why? For the things which are seen are temporal, subject to change, but the things of God which are not seen are eternal. Hallelujah. So faith, you see, is focusing on and seeing the invisible, receiving it as true. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. In other words, we walk by, walk by our spiritual sight, not by our physical sight. What our senses tell us is not the ultimate truth, it's not the highest authority. God's word is. Now, how does unbelief, natural unbelief, come to you? Through your senses, you see. Jesus talked about the mountain. He said, if you have faith, you will speak to the mountain. A mountain is something that stands in your life, that's very visible, that's very obvious, that is very impressive to your senses. And if you focus on that mountain and see that as the final authority, that circumstance in your life, I can tell you that unbelief will come into your heart. And you look at that mountain and you'll think that will never move. You're accepting its authority. How do you protect your heart? You need to actually focus your eyes on God. Yes, that mountain might be big, but God's much bigger. And you focus your eyes on God and you, and you speak to that mountain. This is how you protect your heart as well. You speak. Yes, there's a mountain of circumstances, but you don't accept that as your final authority. You speak the words to it. The word of God is the final authority. And you speak to that mountain and you say, mountain, be removed. God's word says that you have no right over me. So be removed and be cast into the sea. And this not only releases God's power against the mountain, but it also protects your heart against that unbelief because you are not accepting it as final authority. That's what Jesus said. You've got to keep the doubt out by declaring your beliefs, 
by declaring the word. Enforce the truth of the word of God over that mountain, you see. Command it to be removed. Command it to bow to the word of God. It's all about our focus, you see. Whatever we meditate on will grow in us, whether it's faith or unbelief. If you meditate all the time on what you can see, that will dominate your thoughts and actions and become your final authority. But if you meditate in the word, on God, his power, your faith will grow and that will push away the unbelief. Praise God. You've got to, we've got to feed our faith and starve our doubts. Now the second enemy of faith is unforgiveness. We need to talk about that. In, he goes on in verse 25. Jesus said, if you're standing praying, you've got anything against anyone, forgive them. And that your Father in heaven will forgive you. You see, if you're in unforgiveness, you are not operating anymore in mercy and grace. And by the law of reciprocity, sowing and reaping, the operation of God's mercy and grace towards you will be hindered. And so you need to stay out of unforgiveness and strife. It's the devil's playground. They will cause you to move your focus away from God. You see, they cut you off from God's grace. They let Satan in on your thought life. You lose your peace and your faith stops working, you see. Because, you see, faith is spiritual sight. Faith looks to, to the invisible God as its source and, and sees that. And, and our consciousness is on the supply of the invisible God. But when you get into unforgiveness, guess what you're focused on? Your eyes are turned from God to that person who's troubling you and, and, and is, you think is spoiling your life. And, and so while you're doing that, you're treating them as, as bigger than God. You start disconnecting from God. And your focus moves to that visible person. And you invest that person with great power. And as a result, unbelief can get into your heart and your faith will shut down. Now you need to forgive. You need to put, the, put them under the blood of Jesus. Give them to God. And, uh, you know, don't jump in the mud and throw it around because it's going to get back on you. Well, you know what Jesus said in Luke 17. He said, if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you've got faith as a mustard seed, you can say to the sycamine tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. You see, the sycamine fruit is bitter and the tree has strong roots and it represents that root of unforgiveness and bitterness in your life. It puts down roots in your heart. And you know, the apostles thought that what they really needed was more faith, increase our faith. But Jesus said their primary need was to cast out any unforgiveness, get rid of that sycamine tree in their heart. And they were to do it by speaking words of faith to remove that root of bitterness. You can use your words of authority to cast out that bitterness from, from your heart. Let me talk quickly about the third enemy of faith. Un there was unbelief, there's unforgiveness. The other one is false doctrine. You see, because the enemy subtly tries to contradict God's word and, and undermine your confidence in God's goodness and character so that you can't trust him. And one classic example of fa how false doctrine stops your faith working is in James chapter 1, verse 2. He says, My brethren, count it all joy 
when you fall into diverse trials. And, and you know, our first response in a trial must be to get our eyes on God and it says, count it all joy. Rejoice in God. Thank God that he's bigger than this thing. Because if you don't, you're going to go down the tubes. Uh, you know, and thank God that he's going to work it all out for your good. Having got your source on your eyes on God as the answer and the source, the next thing you need to do is ask God for wisdom to practically know how do I respond to this situation. And that, then he goes on to that in verse 5. If any one of you lacks wisdom for this trial, let him ask of God. God who gives to all men liberally and without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith. Believing what? That God's a liberal giver. That he's going to send that help. With no doubting, not only must he have faith, but also he must not have unbelief for this to work. With no doubting. He's not to doubt that God's a liberal giver. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He's double-minded because he has faith to pray, but he's also doubting that God will actually hear him. He's got faith and unbelief. Somebody single-minded is confident that God's a liberal giver who will give when he prays. But someone who's double-minded has got also unbelief in his heart. He's got enough faith to ask, but the unbelief in his heart prevents him from receiving the answer from God. And so it's not going to work. This is someone double-minded. They've allowed faith and unbelief to grow in their heart. And, and so because he doubts in his heart that what God is really generous to him, although God will send the answer, he will fail to receive it. He won't have that confidence to receive it. In other words, that doubt paralyzes his faith. He has faith, but it's paralyzed. So he's unstable. He's bouncing to and fro like a wave between faith and unbelief. He can't make up his mind whether to believe and trust God or not because he hasn't been fully convinced of God's goodness. He's allowed unbelief in. Where did this unbelief come from? In this case, it's from a religious deception that he's received false doctrine that actually contradicts the word. And that's what's made him double-minded because if we read on in verse 13, it says, let no one say in a trial when he is tempted or tried, it's the same word, I am tempted or tried by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, neither does he tempt anyone with evil. In other words, James is rebuking a false doctrine here that's nullifying his faith. It's hindering him from responding correctly. He says, let no one say. He's saying it strongly. That's exactly, though, what most of the church world says in the face of trials. My trial is from God. It's God's will. He's allowed it for my good. If you believe God is behind your trial, that bad thing that's happening in your life, how can you believe he'll, you'll receive his help to get you out of it? Your faith will be paralyzed, you see, because you've received a religious deception into your heart. Now you're double-minded. You've got two contradictory centers of thought, God's word and your religious tradition that sounds spiritual, but it's straight from hell. You've accepted one of Satan's character assassinations against God, that God is your problem, that God is causing the bad things in your life. And every time you try and believe you receive based on God's goodness, doubts from that lie flood your heart, preventing you from reaching out and receiving, you see. 
Well, as James says, let that, not that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord because he's double-minded. You see, the word says that God is good. He doesn't cause the problem, but he'll help you through it. He'll work it for your good. But the false teaching says God is actually the one behind it, behind the trial, causing the suffering and the sickness to teach us a lesson. You know, Jesus said it's the thief that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But he came that we might have abundant life. Hallelujah. We need to get that clear. But most of the church world buys the lie of Satan that they need to accept their trials and tribulation as from the hand of God. You know, it's a religious tranquilizer. It makes us feel better when things go wrong. But it paralyzes us from rising up in faith and responding to our setbacks. You know, the worst thing of it, of course, is that you have accepted a terrible lie concerning the good character of God. That God gave you that sickness, that God gave you that cancer to teach you something. No wonder your faith doesn't work if that's how you think about God. You've accepted a lie of hell. You're double-minded. You say you believe God is good, but at the same time you've accepted this lie that is actually the opposite. How can you receive the answer from God and deliverance from the trial if you believe God is your problem? You're double-minded. How can you ask in faith, believing God is a liberal giver of blessing, at the same time you believe that he's put this problem on you? You can't, because your faith is nullified by the lie. You've got faith, but there is unbelief in your heart from that false doctrine. So yes, we must get the word in our heart. We must have faith, and that's what most teaching emphasizes. But we must also guard our heart against all natural unbelief, against unforgiveness, against false doctrine. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Protect your heart. Don't let just anything get in there. And then your faith that's in there can thrive. Jesus said you, all you need is a little bit of faith. Faith is a mustard seed. As long as it's pure faith, you can move mountains with that faith. But you've got to keep that unbelief out.